Thank you for tuning in to the NCNTSP podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Wayne Williams, an instructional coach with the North Carolina New Teacher Support Program. Our guest today is Paige Lorraine, an instructional coach with the UNC Charlotte region of NCNTSP. Today, we'll be talking about ways to ensure rigorous and relevant instruction in mathematics. This is the first episode in what we hope will be a series of subject-specific podcasts. Let us know if you would like a specific subject to be discussed, and we'll locate an expert in that area to talk with. We're glad you could join us. We hope you will enjoy your time with us today. Hi, Paige. Thanks for being here with us on the NCNTSP podcast today. Hey, Wayne. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's always good to get a, a, a new perspective from one of our awesome team of coaches. Paige, give us, our listeners, uh, just a little bit of a, a quick background on yourself. Well, my name is Paige Lorraine, and I'm an instructional coach with the New Teacher Support Program in the Charlotte region. Um, prior to this role, I was a beginning teacher coach uh, at a school-based position, a mathematics coach, and then a mathematics teacher. Super. So we're really grateful to have you here with us as a part of this, uh, this series on, uh, on what, what high-quality subject-specific instruction looks like across a variety of subjects. And so we're grateful to have you here uh, as a voice for the math folks. You ready to get started? I am. Okay. So this is going to be a very lengthy, wordy question, but uh, what do you see as the hallmarks of purposeful, student-centered, rigorous instruction in mathematics here in the early 21st century? That's a great question, Wayne. Um, I really think that the foundation of a rigorous class, and this ties to our common core standards, is having those three strands of rigor. So students need to see procedural fluency, they need to see application, and they need to have a conceptual understanding of our standards. And, you know, not every standard calls for all three, or a standard may call for different parts of those three strands in different grade levels or in different high school classes, but really weaving those three strands together to give students a well-rounded understanding of the mathematics. I think that that is a purposeful thing we can do for students in a class. Super. Just, uh, I expect most of the people listening to this episode are probably math folks, Uh, but just so we're all on the same page, when we talk about those three big ideas, uh, procedural, application, and conceptual, what would be like a quick nuts and bolts definition? Like when we say procedural, we mean... So procedural fluency is focused on um, algorithmic procedures, uh, the solving of problems. If you can really think back to maybe when we were in school and you'd get that worksheet of 50 problems and the teacher would be like, do every odd problem. Um, That's really going to lend itself to that procedural fluency. Uh, conceptual understanding is understanding um, multiple representations of something. So for example, if you have a linear function, understanding the 
uh, connection between the graph and the equation and a table and that verbal reasoning. Also understanding how changes in any of those components can change the other one. So mm -hmm. for example, under keeping with that linear example, it, understanding that a increase in our slope is going to create a steeper line or changing our, you know, our y-intercept will shift our graph up and down. Um, and then application can be done in a couple different ways. Um, when we're thinking about application of mathematical concepts, we may be applying old or previous knowledge to a new concept to expand it, to elaborate on it. It could also be applying the mathematics to a real world problem that we're asking students to solve. I'm super grateful you brought that uh, that dual con uh, conception of applications forward, right? Because yes, applications, I think a lot of people think when we talk about applications of that second meaning, where it's like, how am I going to use this in my life? And you can argue about how much we like that question, but it's a real question. And yet there is also the notion of sometimes we are learning things because we will apply them to learning later, bigger things. And those are both legitimate interpretations of, of the term application. Yeah, exactly. I think we forget that some standards are seen multiple, multiple grade levels, just in different ways. Having that previous knowledge really helps us expand on it or do more with the mathematics. And so that application becomes really important as students move from grade level to grade level. One of the places we math teachers get knocked, uh, I used to teach math too, uh, sometimes is, is like, for example, when you divide fractions, you know, the whole, the whole notion of flip and multiply, right? And that's mm -hmm. even been uh, summed up in a verse, ours not to reason why, just invert and multiply. <laughs> you know, right. well, there's more to it than that. There's a reason that, and, and so if you're just doing, if you're just following the advice in that verse, you're sticking to a procedural application. But if you move on to, well, why does that procedure work and, and where might it have come from? Now you're starting to address the concept of fractional division. And once you've done that, then when you start trying to uh, trying to say adjust a recipe with with fractional units in it, like third of a cup of this or something like that, now we're going to get into an application of the concept of fraction division. And we might resort to the procedure because it's easier, but we, we don't have that as our only choice. We have more choices than that. Yeah, that's actually a really great example of how one topic can span all three of those ideas. Um, and it's interesting listening to you say that I'm reflecting on the fact that I think most of my mathematical education was very procedural. And I think the conceptual component of the rigor stream is probably the hardest for teachers to address. It's really the why, why does this work? What connections are here and why is this important? And you can get at it through so many, so many types of questions, whether they're, whether they seem on the surface to be authentic, like real world questions, or they seem like math teacher, real world questions, which really don't seem to correspond to anybody else's definition of the real world. Right. right. Like, and, and, and if you look deeply into things, into questions as we want our students to, things that don't necessarily seem to connect turn out to be grounded in the same concept, right? So like how many diagonals does a polygon have 
is very related to the question of how many time, how many handshakes would occur in a group of N people. Right. Exactly. You know, so cool. Cool. Well, so, so let's, I guess let's start then with, if I'm beginning with procedures, I think, I, I think there's another knock that happens for math teachers because we have wanted to get away from being strictly procedural. I think maybe there's been a conveyance of the idea that we shouldn't teach procedures at all. Like some people have come away with that idea. And I personally don't feel, I, I don't support that, but what, what's your take? No, I don't support that either. Um, and some standards, like I said, really only call for a procedural understanding it may be just the standard itself. It could be where kids are in the progression of math understanding, um, what grade level they're in. But that procedural understanding, to me, is a really foundation of understanding the mathematics. Something also to consider is if you have students who are really apprehensive about math education, they don't, they're not very confident, maybe they're missing um, some knowledge that would support them in addressing standards, those procedural skills are going to be really fundamental into helping them accomplish mastering that standard. It also is a huge confidence build for kids. Um, they feel like if they can solve a problem, right, and they understand and they can replicate that algorithm from problem to problem, they get this sense of, oh, I can do this. And those conceptual, like understanding the why or the application of applying it to a new idea or a real world scenario becomes a lot um, easier for kids or they just feel like they can do that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's hard to trust that you can handle the application when the mechanics don't feel comfortable to you. <laughs> so, so when we've got to convey a procedure if we're looking at, I mean, this is kind of this series of uh, uh, this little mini series in our podcast is dealing with what what is good instruction in modern day fill in the subject look like, right? Mm-hmm. So, so is there a, a straightforward technique that we could give our listeners when you've got to teach a procedure? Try this. Yeah. So for procedural. Um for the procedural understanding for students, really that I do, we do, you do is really helpful for kids because you're able to do a think out loud and model the exact steps for students. And then the we do, you're gonna have kids join you in the solving that problem. So you'll do parts of it, but you'll ask questions and kids will do parts of it. And it's this idea of the gradual release. So all of the learning is on you as the teacher And then you're slowly or gradually releasing that learning or releasing the um, like, like the, 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 the responsibility of carrying the weight of doing. That's the word I was looking for responsibility. Yes. You're going to release the responsibility of doing that work to the students throughout the, I do, we do, you do. Cool. Cool. And I also like that you connected it to, to modeling, right? Because, you know, we as coaches certainly use modeling as a technique with our teachers and we use it because it's a powerful instructional technique, right? I mean, that's how it's modeling is essentially what the old apprenticeship system was based on, right? You know, watch me. Now you try it. 
Yeah, and if you think about really learning to do anything, if you're learning an instrument, if you're playing a sport, um, it's pretty often that your coach will model what they want you to practice. And so what that does for students, for teachers, for in any, whatever you're trying to learn is it allows you to practice it correctly. We don't want to give students some work to do and then send them off to practice it incorrectly because then they start to retain that that's the way they do it. But the way that they remember to do it is an incorrect way. So we want to use that gradual release model so that kids are practicing correctly. That muscle memory, what they remember from that activity is going to be the correct way to solve a problem or um, to teach the class. Yeah. Uh, sort of the, a technique that sometimes helps in the I do phase might be like, like think alouds. Like, mm -hmm. okay, well, I see that I have 3x plus 7, and I know that in order of operations, I'm supposed to multiply first and add 7 next. So now when I put x in, when I put 4 in for x, I'm going to. That kind of articulation of what I, as the quote-unquote expert in the room, uh, am doing in my head is how you as the learner can think about how you should approach this kind of question is that yeah yeah and it's so funny to hear you do like a, a mock think out loud because a lot of us are to some extent experts in mathematics right we understand what we're teaching but we know that understanding it and explaining it are very different things and so by doing a think out loud or by preparing for your class by trying to write a thing, like write what you're, what each step is and what you're doing or to verbally practice it out loud. It really helps us solidify how do I do this? And it makes it a lot easier to pass it on to kids. And that's something that as we're trying to get kids to move from that perceptual under, or, or that procedural understanding to the conceptual understanding, having them also do some type of think out loud where they're explaining what they're doing and why really helps them move from that strand, that procedural strand to that conceptual strand. Nice. Yeah. I love the idea of having students explain. One thing that I've, that I've done is uh, I'll use former students' names. So like I might refer to Jashan and Latoya uh, who were actual students of mine decades ago. And, you know, Jashan said the way to solve this problem was blah, but Latoya said it was this who's right. Okay, now that you've decided who's right, help them convince the other one why their way is better. Yeah, so an error analysis is a really easy go-to strategy um, for that conceptual understanding. You could even tell students, you know, there's 10 problems around the room. They're all solved incorrectly. So you need to find the mistake say what the mistake is, why it's incorrect, and then solve it correctly. That's another really good bridge from that procedural to that conceptual strand. Cool. There used to be a mathematics calendar that was published. And the way that the way it worked was the answer to the question on the calendar grid square was mm -hmm. the date. So we happen to be recording this on the 22nd of the month. And so today's problem, if we had such a calendar in front of us, would have the answer 22. That's known. So the question is never, what's the answer to this problem? It's the date 
that the problem was located on. The question is, why is that the answer? How do you get that answer? Show me the show me show me the procedures and and explain any concepts that we may need to understand to make sure that this question generates that result. Yeah, that calendar, I've actually done that with students before. Um, I've done it in an eighth grade math class and um, in a foundational math one uh, math class where students, and this was a nice activity because it, do, it did hit all three of those strands. So procedural would just be solving the equations. Um, and students would pick their birthday month and then their birthday had to be one of the dates that they picked, but they could pick, I think I had them do 10 dates total for the month. So 10 equations. Um, the conceptual is understanding how to work backwards to create those equations, why their equations would work for such a date. Um, and then there's a little bit of that application in there too, right? Because you know what the end goal has to be. You know that they're applying this idea of solving equations or creating equations to a calendar. So using all three of those skills, all three of those strands to come together to create that calendar is a really rigorous task. I love it. You could even take it uh, to having kids do it, do a problem monthly maybe. And, and with the idea that you're making the calendar for next year's students to solve. Oh, that's a great idea. You know, so this year's math one class makes problems each month that I will post as next year's calendar. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then that class will in turn make the problems for the following year. That's the other nice thing about that is if you as a teacher need like assessment problems, just keep any that from a couple of years back that you haven't posted recently. And now you've, the kids made the problems. Mm -hmm. you, you've already checked the answers. So yeah. Uh, wins <laughs> all around. So. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. You mentioned the cubes strategy when we were preparing for this, uh, just kind of getting our thoughts together. And I really liked uh, your thoughts on that. Would you say some more about that for us? Yeah. So this idea of the I do, we do, you do, it is procedural, um, but sometimes kids need a little bit more support with the application type problems. They need a way to address problems that they've never seen, right? Because we wanna be careful with application. Application can, questions can be termed application when they're really procedural. Right, so we give kids a story problem and it's got some numbers in there and then we give them a parallel problem. It's the same type of problem, same steps, um, but the numbers are just different. Even though it's a story problem, it doesn't mean that it's an application problem. Um, we want kids to be able to apply what they know to something new. But what the CUBE strategy does is it helps kids uh, to deconstruct a story problem so that they're able to figure out what is it that they're looking for or supposed to do with this problem. Um, I do want to just note that the cube strategy works really, really well for the high will but the low skill kids. Um, you know, the high will is going to be very important. It has to be kids that really want to understand these problems but are maybe just struggling to do so. So cubes is an acronym. C stands for circle the key numbers. So step one, you would have kids go through and circle any numbers that were relevant to the story problem itself. 
Um, it's really common, right, in application problems for there to be, I used to call them like fluff numbers, numbers that were irrelevant, they didn't mean anything, they didn't actually help kids. Um, and so then we go to U, that's our step two, and it's underline the question. So kids are going to go through and say, what question am I actually answering here? What am I trying to find? B stands for box. It's box any math action words. We know that there is a, and this doesn't work for every single scenario, but for a lot of story problems, there's going to be those key words that really tell you what you're doing. Um, so I taught high school math for the majority of my career, and quadratics is a huge concept, right? Kids see it in math one, math two, math three, and with quadratics, we always talked about throwing something in the air and it hitting the ground. How long does it take to hit the ground? But it became this, that became one of those math action words when, when we had this idea of something hitting the ground, we knew it was hitting the x-axis. So then we knew that we were probably dealing with something like an x-intercept. Um, so to go back to cubes, so we've done C, circle the key numbers, U, underline the question, B, box any math action words, E stands for eliminate what information is not needed. Again, we want to X out the fluff. We want to get rid of anything that's not necessary or helpful for the story problem. And then the last one, S, is solve and check. So you're going to take all that information that you've now deemed valuable, solve the question that you've determined that you're answering, and then check, does that answer make sense? Right, so if I'm talking about you, you know, kick a soccer ball and it goes up and it comes down, it's your quadratic function. How long does it take to hit the ground? And you tell me it takes negative five seconds. That doesn't make sense, right? Because time isn't going to be. Um, and so just really reflecting on does your answer make sense for the problem that you're being asked? Or like you've got a hundred kids to get from point A to point B and uh, a bus can hold 30 kids. How many do you need? How many do you need? Well, you need three and a third buses. Well, can I not be on the one third of a bus, please? Right. <laughs> it really right. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Excellent. Excellent. And if wow. anyone's listening and interested in the cube strategy, honestly, if you Google it and you go to Google images, a lot of stuff is going to pop up. You can print out those posters, post them around your classroom. Sometimes for my kids that really needed them, I would tape them to their desks so that they had access to that, that just to kind of get them in that rhythm, help them remember how to address these story problems. Um, but it's really helpful. But there's a ton of information out there on the CUBE strategy. Cool. Another thing in that same vein, and I'm not going to go into it because it would take a very long time, but if you if you were in, if this is like really your thing, like how do you solve problems? Then there's a book from 1956 uh, by a guy named George Polya. That's P-O-L-Y-A. And it's called How to Solve It. Um, so you got to deal with the fact that the language is 1956. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, there, there are some there are some issues that we would not write that way now. But the 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 main points, his procedure uh, for solving problems is very well laid out and he's got a whole table of questions for each stage of the procedure. So cubes, C-U-B-E-S, like, you know, or, or you can look for Polya, P-O-L-Y-A, how to solve it. And either of those would be good problem solving strategies that'll really help your learners get into not only the procedures, but also 
real applications and start really accessing the concepts that are driving the uh, uh, the work you're trying to do. That's those are great. We talked some idea some yesterday about uh, favorite lessons that we'd done. You know, not that not that these are necessarily models to be held up as you should emulate us, but just you know things we recall from our career that we enjoyed doing. Um, I mentioned a uh, a car value lesson where it was uh, uh, I ran across this article in Money Magazine and it asked why are so many uh, Americans upside down on their car loan and so okay so right there we've got some relevant financial vocabulary what's it mean to be upside down right well it means you owe more than than the asset is worth um, and and so I, this was kind of riding around in the back of my mind and I noticed consumer reports puts out every year a used car guide and in that used car guide they'll tell you if you want to buy this model of car from the last eight years here's what you should expect to pay today for each of these previous model years i'm gonna give you a range i thought well that's kind of neat um and it occurred to me because I was making car payments at the time that uh, I paid the same amount every month. And then eventually I didn't have to pay anymore. And so with all this kind of swirling, I went back and I looked at my uh, at my standard course of study. And I saw that one of the things I was supposed to do was teach students to solve uh, systems of equations that involved linear and nonlinear equations at the, on the, at the same time. Right. And it and I said, well, you know, cars lose their value exponentially. So there's a great example of depreciation, which is an exponential decrease. And the the value of, you know, excuse me, what you pay against your loan is the same every month. So that's a linear function. And if they intersect, where they intersect is, you know, the place where what you owe is the same as what the car is worth. And so now we can go back and answer the question, how do I not get upside down? Um, and so I think I'm hearing those elements of procedural, uh, conceptual and application, or at least potential for them in there. For sure. Um, I mean, I think the one that's going to stand out the most is that application, right? Especially that, that standard, that topic is taught in high school. A lot of kids are taking a driver's ed or getting ready to start driving or have just gotten their driver's license. And this idea of owning a car is super exciting, right? When you're young and um, you're just so excited to drive and be out on your own and having kids or allowing kids to kind of grapple with what would that cost um, and how do I make a good investment is awesome. So that's their application right there. Conceptually, you can kind of look at different types of cars, right? So your starting value is going to be different. You can look at different monthly um, payment plans. So if you uh, if your down payment is less, but your monthly payment is more, how does that change when you're no longer underwater versus the opposite? Um, or just even the starting cost of a car, right? If you kids buy a Lamborghini, that's going to be very, very different than a used car. So there's so many conceptual different um, ways to be looking at this type of problem. And then procedurally, they're going to be solving. They're going to be solving these equations that they create, or they're going to be graphing these equations they create and looking at for that point of intersection to figure out when they're no longer underwater. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, and to me, like, that's definitely one of the important concepts. Like if we speak in math, in math ease, uh, two, two graphs intersect at the point at which the same input produces the same output. You know, that, that's, that's the math idea I need you to get away, to come away with. But in terms of real life, when the value of the car crosses what you owe on the car, then the same number of months have passed and the value and the owing are the same amount. So that's, that's the break even point if you want to look at it like that. So, yeah, that project would be awesome. Cause again, you're, you're talking about something that kids probably care about, um, have some interest in that their peers are talking about. So you're increasing engagement in what, in this, specific task, but you're also hitting all three of those strands of rigor. So if, you know, an admin comes in or someone from the district, they, it will be very clear that your class is a rigorous class because students are having to not only grapple with all three of these strands, but in this case, intertwine these three strands in order to be successful. That's right. And, you know, I think as we think about, I mean, I was really proud of that unit, obviously. I mean, here I am bringing it up several years after I you know, last ran it. But, but I also recognize that that, that happens to be uh, a topic that, that most, most kids will connect to, like we said. But we can also do that with topics that this year's students will connect with uh, and that maybe don't have the same shelf life, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, this is really like lends itself to getting to know your kids. So some years you're going to have a class full of football players. And so you're going to be talking about football a lot. And how does that connect to your class? And some years you're going to have kids that are really enjoying being in band or theater, or um, maybe they do sports outside of school. So they, I don't know, do gymnastics or rock climbing or just something that doesn't necessarily happen at school, but they have these really strong interests. And for your disengaged learners, the way to bring them in is to make it connect to things that they actually care about. Absolutely. And I think one of the ways we, that's one of the ways we, we, we hit all three of this procedure con, uh, application and concept, right? You know, we're, we're going to demonstrate so that, so that students see what it is we want them to do. Um, and hopefully we're going to demonstrate on something that holds their interest. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to pro- provide a chance for them to go a little bit deeper. And that's going to be, again, that's going to be easier when it's something that the students can care about, which we're only going to know about if we know our students. And hopefully throughout the course of this, they won't just be doing this in isolated. Everybody sits at their desks and keeps their mouths shut. You know, that, that's, that, that might have worked for even our parents' age, but it, it hasn't worked successfully in years you know it's it, communicating is important and i think if we if we are thoughtful about the 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 opportunities we put in front of students we can give them an opportunity to execute a procedure in an important way for an application they care about and might need to talk to their friends about so that in the end they come away with the big idea or the concept of the content we're trying to convey yeah it's really common. I mean, math is a big subject in schools, right? So there's a lot of talk around math education and are students successful in math? And I love math and I loved being a math teacher. 
I do very much value it. It's important. However, I'm, I also think that we sometimes forget about these soft skills that by creating these tasks and interweaving these three strands, we're also helping. So things like communication um, and explaining what our thought processes or, you know, explaining, oh, have you thought about approaching this problem in a different way? We need students. I mean, we're preparing students for jobs that don't exist yet. So we have to prepare these soft skills as well so they can figure out how do I engage in a task that I maybe don't know how to approach yet? How can I work with someone else in order to be successful in this? Um, because there might not be, you know, procedural, we can do that modeling, we can do that I do, we do, you do, we can really set kids up for success. And there's a lot of value in that. But like I said, we're preparing kids for jobs that don't exist yet. There's no way to model these jobs for them. So how do we also incorporate these soft skills in our classroom so that we can send them out into the real world and they can still be successful. That's right. That's right. And jobs and participation in civic life and participation in their financial lives and all, all of these things in some way depend on, depend on students' mathematical understanding. And, and that's really that's really our task. So as we think about, you know, what it, what subject specific pedagogy looks like for for math students, our I love that you frame it that way. You know, our our job is to prepare them to understand math in things that we can we may not even conceive of yet. You know, who who would have predicted a pandemic? And yet, right. there was there was carrying capacity and there was the bell curve and there was a logistic function and you know they had real they had real impacts on people's health decisions and on our ability to save lives and none of us would have seen that coming so yeah and as the world becomes smaller and kids are on social media and the internet and they're getting all this news from all these different places um, some of us are finding that our students, I know my students were this way, are really getting engaged in that idea of like that civ of civics, civic education, social justice. And so how can we use what we're learning in class and apply it to solving these real world like, that are right in front of them? Absolutely. Any opportunities we can take, that'll, that'll just, it'll make the math more meaningful for our kids and it'll make our jobs easier. Yeah. It's, it's easier to teach somebody something they care about than it is some to teach them something they don't care about. Oh, for sure. For sure. So Paige, thanks so much that, that I really enjoyed talking with you. It's always a pleasure. Is there anything that you want to kind of share in the way, in the way of parting thoughts or just, you know, kind of things you want to make sure get said? Well, I just want to say thank you, Wayne, for allowing me to come on and have a math conversation with you. I always enjoy when we get an opportunity to think about the work that we do and specifically what that work looks like in a math classroom. Um, and then for any math teachers that are listening, I just want to open up the door. If you have any questions or want to have a math conversation, I would be happy to have those conversations. And Wayne, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm sure you would as well. You absolutely. You are absolutely correct. So... Yeah. And we'll see if we can get some, uh, you can reach out to us at the NCNTSP podcast. We'll give you a, a Twitter handle to sh uh, shout us out if you want. Uh, and if you put Wayne or Paige in there, we'll figure it out. Someone will tell us. Uh, Paige, as always, thanks for being, uh, for being such an awesome math 
thinking partner, and uh, uh, we will we will call this good. All right, thanks, Lee. Thank you for taking the time to process all of that information. Please know NCNTSP sincerely wants to hear from you. Leave messages on this podcast platform and follow us on Twitter at capital T-H-E underscore all caps N-C-N-T-S-P. And as always, thank you, teachers, for all that you do.